0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. The Apostle Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, in Galatians chapter 2, his letter to the Christians in the churches in Galatia, all those new churches, all those new Christians, writing to them to confront the... um, the dilution of and the corruption of the gospel, the corruption of Christianity itself, to to, to stem the tide of uh, people being swept away by the wrong faith, the wrong uh, understanding of Jesus and of how to walk with God, he penned these words, and um, he gets technical. And I want to read this passage to you, and then we're going to unpack it. So take your note sheet, take your Bibles. I hope you have them. We're always going to use them. In fact, let me do a little little diversion here, a little time out. I'm so excited that uh, we're starting another Bible study uh, that'll be video-driven, led by Beth Moore that you saw on the screen earlier, through the book of James. Uh, there's a lot of great things we can study, but I'm here to tell you, our church is built on, and your life will be built on, studying the Scriptures Bible intake, learning, getting the picture of God's uh, God's great narrative of redemption, uh, internalizing the Bible, learning how to handle it yourself, how to feed yourself, and so while we study in you know, the great books you can read and that kind of thing, I'm 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 telling you the direction we're headed in the next ten years is an even more intense focus on uh, Bible intake in all of our small groups. Uh, We'll be encouraging you and leading you and teaching you how uh, rather than studying books that people wrote about subjects from the Bible, let's study the Bible. Let's study the Bible. Oh, that's good. Read that. Do that. I, I mean, I, I love books. I've got more books than I'll ever get to read in the rest of my life. But there's nothing like Bible intake. And we've got to learn to handle it on our own. We've got to learn to stand on our own two feet. We've got to learn when t- tough times come that may come in the future when we may not have this accessibility. We've got to be able to feed ourselves. And so um, bring your Bibles to church. I'll, you, say, well, you know, and it, so I, I don't care if you got them on your iPhone. I don't care if you got them on your iPad, on your smartphone. I don't care if you bring it like this and like to hold it, but but don't just depend on what we put on the screen, or if maybe if we have it printed on a piece of paper there, because you'll lose that. You won't have that. You need to learn to handle it yourself. Uh, okay, get, if you don't have a Bible, we'll get you ones. Check in at the welcome desk. We've got them for sale. We've got them to give away. But bring them. We will use them. Now, for, in particular, it would be great to have them this morning because uh, the passage we're going to look at is a little more difficult than what we've been looking at. Let me read it to you. Here, here's, here's Paul speaking, inspired by God the Holy Spirit. We who are Jews by birth and not, quote, Gentile sinners, end quote, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners... Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Or in some translations, he says, God forbid if I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's talk about terminology for a moment. You know, every field of knowledge creates terminology. Uh, for example, if, uh, if you uh, uh, are in the airline industry... Uh, You have terminology that you need to understand. You better understand or you won't get to stay in the industry. Like weight and balance, like block time, like quick turnaround, like ATC delays, airborne holding, landing minimums, CAT3, AOM, VFR, IFR. How How many of you know some of those terms I'm talking about here? You're all airline people. You better know them. You better know them, or you're not going to be airline people very long. But you develop terminology. There's terminology for that field of knowledge. Terms that 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 you know a term is is compressed truth. Every term is compressed truth. There's a there's a um, uh, there is a uh, uh, an understanding uh, of a phenomenon. Or a Or a description of reality uh, that we have discovered, and rather than every time we bring it up we have to go through several paragraphs or pages of description, we create a term for it, a word for it, an acrostic for it, and, and we take all of that truth and we compress it into a word so so that then we can we can make quick progress uh, when we 're discussing. Uh, that term, and we're, we're working in that field of knowledge. Uh, same thing's true in the, in the sports field. Let's say, for example, uh, some of you are a little bit interested in the uh, uh, football playoffs. You'll be watching some games this afternoon. Some of you are serious fans. But if you were to work in the industry in management or in coaching, uh, you, you would know terms. And if you're a serious fan, you'll know some of these terms, like uh, hot route, like press man, like onside kick, like horse collar. Uh, like uh, stunt or stimming, or, or pre-snap read, doesn't that fire you up? <laughs> well, it, fi- how many, it fires up all you football people, right? Because you know you know what that you know what that is: pick six, dime package, jumbo package, the box. You know those things. Um, there's another culture that's developed a field of knowledge here. Let's see if any of you. I want you to raise your hand if you uh, understand these terms: core four. Keep them up. Keep them up high. Okay, yeah, we got core four. How about uh, bird in the bag? How about pick uh, chick no pick? How about OE? QSR. Keep it up, Steve. QSR. B-O-G. D-T-O. TMBP. Look, look, they're coming up. The hands are coming up here. Wow, wow. Um, how about E C? How about that means that the EC, you're the topic of the next EC's discussion. Is that not good? Okay, what, am I, what field of knowledge am I talking about here? Chick-fil-A. That's all Chick-fil-A terminology. <laughs> the ECs, the executive committee. If you're, if you're the topic of the EC's next meeting, that's probably not a good thing necessarily. But we see we, there's terminology, and you knew what that meant. That, that those uh, uh, tons and tons and tons of concepts uh, of, of truth are are compressed into terms. Now we do that in every field of knowledge. We do it in volleyball. We do it in education, and 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 it's important that we understand these, or we won't make progress uh, in this uh, in this uh, field. Well, Christianity is the same way. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Is the same way. We need terminology to understand it. And so, well, what do you mean we need terminology to understand it? Well, here's, here's why we need terminology to understand it. It's because the gospel of Jesus Christ is slippery. It, 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 it's hard to grasp. It's hard to fully comprehend. It, it our, our understanding of it can can slip away or, or get off center. It's, it's hard to grasp. Uh, at the time of this writing of the Apostle Paul, he's, uh, they're, they're at least 15 to 20 years into Christianity's existence. And the leaders of the Christian movement. They're at least 15 or 20 years post death, burial and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus into heaven. And here are the leaders, the apostle, the apostle Peter, the apostle James, the apostle Paul. And they're still trying to nail down just precisely what the gospel is. What Christianity is to make sure we know it to make sure we understand it to make sure we 've got it, and so if the gospel is slippery we need we need help grasping it and one of the ways I keep saying this one of the ways that you know you don't comprehend it is you think it 's easy to comprehend I mean you think, I, you, pastor you keep you 've been talking about the gospel for fifteen weeks now well actually this is sixteen and so and so, I got it. I mean, you know, Jesus came, He died, He rose, we commit our life to Him. What's so hard about that? I got it. No. If, it's not the, if it is not the controlling reality of your life, you don't fully grasp it. And... Uh, I know this sounds silly, but I, I do believe this. One way you know that you're beginning to comprehend the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're beginning to comprehend Christianity, is you begin to realize how little of it you comprehend. You're just you're 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 on your way there. Now, uh, so have you ever realized that the gospel—not just the knowledge of it, but the reality of it—in uh, our lives? Is, uh, is a little bit hard to grasp, that's uh, hard to comprehend, well, then you realize we need terms to help us comprehend it. We need terms to help us really understand it. We need terms to help us uh, live it out. Now, some of you uh, this morning are indifferent to Christianity. You're here just because it's the thing to do, but you're rather indifferent to it. This does not seem all that important to you. I understand. You're indifferent to it. But now let me let's define what true indifference is. To be, in, to be truly indifferent to some issue requires that you fully understand it. I mean to be to 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 actually honestly be able to say that's not meaningful to me, I don't really need that, I don't really care about that, means that you have fully understood it so that you are aware whether or not you do need it. Some of you who are unbelievers, some of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, some of you who find yourselves indifferent to um, to Christianity, uh, If you are indifferent, really, it's because you have thoroughly examined it and you have thoroughly come to an understanding of it and therefore you know that you don't need it. Because unless you've come to a full understanding of the gospel, unless you've come to a full understanding of Jesus, unless you've come to a full understanding of Christianity, you cannot know whether you need it or not. There's no way you can know if it's important to you or not. You must understand it. And so... um, if you don't know it, you need to be very, very careful if you're here this morning and you are indifferent to the spiritual things of Jesus Christ. Let me caution you. Let me try to wake you up. Let me try to uh, exhort you to, to tune back in. We need a technical vocabulary to describe the gospel and we find it given here. Some scholars believe that these term, this is the very first time that the Apostle Paul used these terms. Because many, many scholars believe that the the letter to the Galatians was the first letter that Paul wrote to the churches. It's the earliest writing that we have in the Bible ascribed uh, to the Apostle Paul, inspired by God the Holy Spirit. So beginning in verse 15 of chapter 2, we find the very first time that the Apostle Paul used these Uh, terms at least in uh, writing and so uh, we need to understand this so suddenly rather than Paul for almost two chapters giving his personal testimony just talking about history about what has happened to him all of a sudden he gets really really technical with us here and he begins to use terms like justified by faith in Christ died to the law uh... Uh, not justified by observing the law, crucified with Christ, righteousness. And some are saying, good grief, pastor. Those are just old dusty theological terms. I mean, I don't need this. I'm I'm just going to go to Twitter or email a few folks or text a few people while you're talking about this stuff. This is stupid. I don't need to know all of this. Yeah, you do. Because it affects you. Let me give another illustration. Uh, let's suppose that you uh, had a bunch of money invested in the stock market back in late uh, in in uh, two thousand and seven and late two thousand and eight, and either directly in the stock market or you had a bunch of your retirement and mutual funds that were tied to the market. You know, you know where I'm headed here, and so you're kind of like me. And then in October of uh, uh, 08. all of a sudden people start talking about there's this problem with the market and things are crashing and things don't look good. And people, you can tell people are kind of, you're overhearing them talking about the financial crisis and, oh no, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden there are press conferences and the president speaking. And so you're like me, so maybe for the very first time you turn on MSNBC. And I turn on MSNBC because, okay, I, maybe I want to know what's going on. And so then there they are on MSNBC and they're speaking in kind of, you know, urgent terms. And Dale, their eyes are a little bit wider than they usually are. And I'm, And I'm listening intently and I'm understanding just about every fourth word. And then I listen a little bit longer, and I'm under, And then maybe I'm starting to understand about maybe every third word. But finally, I just get frustrated and say, "This is stupid." If they just can't speak plain English, I'm turning the thing off. That'd be a bad. That did been a bad idea. If they can't speak plain English. Then it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, it did matter to me. It mattered to you. See. Don't look at these terms that the apostle Paul uses here and say, "Ah, oh, I don't understand." Justified by faith in Christ, died through the law. I died to the law that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ in righteousness through. That's just a bunch of dusty old, musty old theological terms. If you can't speak it in plain English, pastor, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something else. Don't. Don't do something else because you are going to be affected by this. If you're going to understand the gospel, you have to understand the terms. And there are many in here, but I'm just going to talk about three this morning. Three building blocks of uh, the kingdom. Three building blocks of the kingdom uh, of the gospel. And the first one, let's go all the way to the end of that passage to verse 21. And there's one word in there that I want to talk about. And so you, whether you've got your Bibles or not, take your note sheet and write out the word, Righteousness. Write out the word righteousness. Verse 21, Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Let's talk about what the Bible means, what Christianity means, what the gospel means when it refers to righteousness. Now, everybody is looking for righteousness. Whether you know it or not, whether you know that's what you were looking for or not, every person on the planet is looking for, desiring of, seeking for, in need of righteousness as defined by the Bible. Uh, and the point here is the gospel of Jesus Christ is the way, the only way to get Righteousness. So what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. You say, well, that's, again, righteousness, that's just not relevant to me. It's just an old dusty theological term. Oh, yes, it is. It's relevant to you because it is what you are seeking in your life. It's what you've been seeking your entire life. Everybody is struggling for this and wants it and needs it. For example, um, some of you see nothing but the imperfections in your life. And you're spending your entire life trying to overcome your imperfections. You know something is wrong. Uh, Why why is it that some of you can't look in the mirror and take an honest look at yourself? Why is it that some of you can never stand to be alone and be quiet? Why is it that some of you are driven to achieve and and driven to the point of workaholism? Why is it that some of you uh, uh, pursue uh, pleasure... Uh, and, and pursue sexual pleasure with multiple people just because you need somebody that thinks you're beautiful. Why is it that you have to work so hard to fit in? Why is it that you are so driven by your peers to be accepted whether you're on, in the playground or, or in the boardroom? Why, why is it? Why is it that you constantly wish that somebody would admire you, or that you're going to be? Why do you seek to be okay? It's because fundamentally, you sense deep down in your soul you're not right. Now, I was sitting on the front porch in Piedmont, Alabama, as a boy with my grandmother one day on Daly Street in the little Roja, in the little. Uh, 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 a uh, millhouse village where they lived, and they bought that millhouse when they w- worked for the mill. And, Tom, they're sitting on the front. The front porch was here, and it was about this high, and the sidewalk was right there, right there. So, you know, they talked to people when they went up and down the street. Well, I was sitting there with my mom and my dad and my grandmother, and this fellow comes walking down the street, young man, and, and uh, he looked just a little goofy. And he stopped and said, hey, Miss Moore. And she said, she said, hello, h- how are you? And, and, and then he walked off down. She watched him and while well, and she turned look back at my mind, she said, you know, that boy is just not quite right. You're, you know, you know what that, you know what that means. You know, he's just not quite right. Bless his heart. She blessed his heart right there. <laughs> well. From the time we are born, there's this sense in us, we might not be able to put words to it, but it's, you know, something's just not quite right. I'm not right with the world. I'm not quite right with God. I'm not right with myself. I can't think quite right. I can't behave quite right. I can't choose quite right uh, there's some imperfections in us and we can't stand it. Now, the English definition of righteousness is to be good. That's not the Bible definition of righteousness, primarily. The Bible definition has to do with relationship. Righteousness, as defined here, has to do with relational things. It means to be right with someone, to be right with some thing. Uh, Let me give an illustration. I look over here, I see Don Swinford's over here and makes me think about the Georgia Power Company and I see a couple of EMC folks here. Let's talk about the power company, the electric company. Well, if you are paying your bill, your electric bill right now, uh, and on time, fully and on time, uh, you are right with the power company. You are right with the electric company and you will get your electricity. But if you are not paying your bills, you are not right with the power company and you will not get your electricity. You're not right with each other. You got it? See that? See that? Nod your head with me a minute. You with me? Okay, here's another illustration. Let's step it up a little bit about maybe your friend. If you are kind, if you are patient, if you are sensitive, if you're available, if you're gracious, if you're helpful to your friend, you will be right with your friend. But if you are unkind to your friend, if you're impatient with your friend, if you're callous, Or apathetic toward your friend, if you are absent or you're demanding of your friend, if you're selfish with your friend, you will not be right with your friend, will you? You'll not be okay with your friend because you will have a, because of your bad record, you will lose your friend. Well, righteousness means to be right with someone because of your record to them. To be right with someone because of your record with them. You have a good record with them, it gives you the right to be included by them. Now, let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis here. However you look at the book of Genesis and however you look at Adam and Eve, uh, the teaching of when they decided to... The teaching is all the same. The application is all the same. When Adam and Eve, when human beings decided that they were going to be their own masters, when we as human beings decided that we are going to be our own masters, not not God, we immediately sensed that we were not right with the universe. They immediately sensed they were not okay with the universe. They were not okay with creation and they were not okay any longer with God. As soon as they decided they were going to run creation... In their own lives in the universe. They sensed that something was not right. And the Bible says they sensed that all of a sudden that they were naked. They were ashamed. Uh, they were afraid. They, uh, they, uh, they began to be afraid of God and hid from God. They tried to cover themselves but did so inadequately. They had a sense that something had become wrong. Something was not right with them they and what it was is this they had lost their original acceptability to god they had lost their original beauty they had lost their uh, original rightness with god it was gone it was gone. They were no longer right with God. Things weren't right with God. They'd become afraid. They hid. Now, the Bible says that you and me and every one of us who's born into the world, knowing, uh, we are born into the world knowing that we are not right, quite right. We are not lovable. We are not acceptable. Uh, that we'd better find a way to make ourselves right, and we'd better find a way to make ourselves acceptable. Now, you say some of you say, well, Pastor... Uh, isn't that the family's job? Isn't that the environment that people are raised in, uh, their their immediate family, their extended family, the community that they're in, doesn't, doesn't their sense of, um, of, a, uh, 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 of self-image and acceptance by their family, isn't that what causes this sense of rightness and wrong? No, no, it's not the cause. Now, it does have an effect on how loudly... This voice of unrightness shouts into our ears. But it's not the cause. How do you know that? Well, it's it's because I know it the same reason you know it. You can can love your kids. I mean, you can love them perfectly. I mean, you you know, you can shower the people you love with love, as that great philosopher and theologian James Taylor said. And he was right. We should. We should. Things tend to go better when we do. But still, you shower your kids with your love and you will still, those of you who've raised your kids, I think you'll agree with me, you will still witness them struggle to find a place to be accepted. You'll still witness them struggle uh, to find a place to be accepted by their peers. Or you'll see them struggle and begin to go out and get... Focused on, in an obsessive fashion, I'm going to get all A's. Or I'm going to become beautiful. Or I'm going to become uh, known for my athletic ability. Or I'm going to become very, very smart. And I'm going to become very, or, I'm going to become very, very wealthy. I'm going to become very, very successful. You'll find them become driven somehow to be accepted. Doesn't matter how much you love them. There will still be an element of that. there. It is a struggle for rightness. It is a struggle to be right with the world and right with God, whether we know it or not. And everybody, the Bible says, is looking for it. This is the very first principle of Christianity. Everybody is looking for righteousness and nobody has it. Nobody has it. So you may be looking for rightness today. Rightness with God. How do I be set right with God? Well, let's go to the second term here. We're going to back ourselves up through the passage. And let's go to um, verse 19. Here's what Paul wrote. For through the law I have died to the law so that I might live for God. Let's talk about this little phrase, dying to the law. What does he mean by that? Well... Let me say it this way. Not only are irreligious people who are far from God who decided to run their own life, uh, not only are, are they living for themselves and trying to cover their own sense of nakedness and unacceptability, not only are they trying to beautify their lives by the wrong things to get righteousness, but even religious people are. Religious people do the same thing. Religious people who seek to, who seek. Let me be careful here. How can I say this, Daniel? I think i Let me try it this way. If you use religion as your way of self improvement, you're 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 looking the wrong way for righteousness. It's just another way for, of self improvement. To make myself acceptable. Um, even religious people uh, are serving themselves by keeping religious rules. In order to beautify their lives and find righteousness. But they still avoid a Savior. I don't need a Savior, I just need to get better. I just need to be better morally. I just need to clean up my act here. Now, that was the Apostle Paul. Paul. The apostle Paul was not one of those who ran away from he didn't he didn't run off to Corinth and squander his life in riotous living as the bible says the prodigal son did. He stayed home in Jerusalem or in Tarsus and he he pursued the great religion of the Jews. He pursued following the the, mo- the law given by God through Moses in the first five books of the Old Testament. You see, the Jews didn't really believe in salvation by works. They believed in a salvation by um, sort, of, sort of by faith. They just had faith in the wrong thing. They, they believed that they were acceptable to God because they were descendants of Abraham. And because of God's covenant with Abraham. And they believed they were acceptable to God by uh, by valuing the law of Moses as given in the first five books of the Old Testament. And their dedication to trying as best they could to keep those laws. And they had faith, Bill, in that. I have faith that my my kinship with Abraham and my love for those Old Testament laws, that makes me acceptable to God. And so, but what Paul did here, this very religious person, he came to the day where he realized that that too was inadequate. As he says here in this passage, Even we Jews... We Jewish believers, he's saying, in, chapter, in verse 15, even we Jews discovered that we cannot be made right by keeping the law of Moses. It's, it's hard to overstate what a radical, radical change of belief and action that that would be for a serious Jew to say, no, my relation, my, my descendancy from Abraham does not make me okay with God. No, my, my love for and my dedication to doing the very best I can to keep the law of Moses as given in the first five books of the Old Testament, my, my belief in that is not enough, is not adequate to give me, to make me right, Set me right with God and set me right with the world. It is not adequate. It would be hard to overstate. Now, we have very few of you who are out of a Jewish background here. So let me just say this. The principle here is this. The law of Moses to you is anything else you've been betting the farm on to make you right with God other than faith in Jesus alone. You're on moral goodness. I mean, I don't know what it is. What are you betting the farm on? What are you putting your faith in to make you right? Is it the pursuit of all A's, or the pursuit of uh, of being beautiful, or the pursuit of athletic ability, or the pursuit of pleasure, the next woman, the next man? What what are, what, are, what are you what are you pursuing? To seek to cleanse and beautify your life other than Jesus. That is your law. And Paul says simply here, well, that won't do it. You will not be set right with God in the world by pursuing those things. That's not it. And so he says, I died, when he says, I died to the law of Moses, he said, I, I, I have made such a radical turn that I no longer consider Abra, Father Abraham and the keeping of the law of Moses as the controlling factor, the most important factor in my life. I have, I have died to that, that I might live to God because there's another way to be made righteous and that brings us to the third and the only third the only other term we can deal with this morning is found in verses 15 and 16 is the term justified by faith justified let me talk about justification a second justification is God's gracious and full acquittal of us upon the principles of his own righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ justification brings uh, those of us who believe in Jesus into a relationship of peace and favor with God and sets the believer free from the penalty of sin. Now, that's a lot of words there. but Let me sum it up this way. We've got about three minutes here. Look at me. This, let's talk about justification from God's point of view. This is, this is about God's view of you. Justification changes the way God sees you. It changes the way the electric company sees you. Um, To justify something means that our view of something has changed. You, You don't change the thing, but you change your view of the thing. For example... Uh, one time, uh, we were we were preparing to go uh, to the beach on vacation for spring break, and uh, you know I like to say that I love Jesus more, most, but I probably love me the most, and so I was wanting to get to the beach pretty quick. Well, my my daughter w- w- had a had a a, a three day trip prior to our trip with some college friends, and um, we had determined that we would depart our household, drive out of our driveway at 12 noon to go to the beach. And um, she agreed. We'll be here. I'll be be in the car. I'll be back and in the car at 12 noon and we'll head to the beach. Well, she pulled into the driveway at 2 p.m. and got the look. (laughs) Such a gracious father. You know, got the look, got the look. And so I'm, I'm not feeling really good about her performance at this time because I was selfish, but, but we'll talk about me at another time. Let's work on her a minute. (laughs) And so, um, and so I'm thinking, come on, we talked about this for weeks, and she starts to say, "Dad, I'm so sorry that I am two hours late." And she said, uh, "You know, I was I was riding with another person. Yes, I, I knew that, and uh, uh, they had some difficulty uh, with some family issues, and I had to, I had to stand by the car and wait on them for two hours. I was packed. I was in the car, and I had to wait on them for two hours, and." I, it was totally out of my control. Well, what was she doing? She was justifying herself. And by the way, Deborah, my attorney friend, she's doing a darn good job of it. <laughs> you know, she was. I mean, the evidence, the the testimony in the court that was being held on my driveway was was pretty darn good. And and, I, and so my view of her completely changed. Now, did it? Ch- did did The fact changed that she was two hours late? No, that didn't change at all. But my view of her changed completely. She was justified in my sight. Got it? Okay, okay, let's back up. Hang with me now, hang with me. You need to understand this. We're getting to the big, big part. This is is the core of Christianity. Right here. This one, this one, one term. That's what it means to justify. Our view is something, uh, of something is being changed. The Bible says that through Jesus Christ, His death on the cross in your place, substituting uh, for you His atoning death on the cross for your sin, His resurrection from the dead, uh, That through Him, your record is not changed. He doesn't go back, your history is not changed. You still lived a life of rebellion against God. You still were a sinner in need of a Savior. You still had a heart that desired to be your own God that showed itself up in doing sinful, God-dishonoring things. That didn't change, but God's view of you changed. God's view of you changed. God's view of you and your sin has changed. You still have sinned. You still have done things wrong. But what happens? What happens? By faith in Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus alone. In the Jesus plus nothing nothing plan. I'm betting it all on the fact on on Jesus and His substitutionary atoning for my sin death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, proving that He had the power to do so. I'm betting I'm putting all my trust in You. That changes God's view. He says at that point He declares You right. He declares You to be righteous. He gives you acceptance based on the record of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not that God has made you good practically. Not that you're perfect. You're not perfect yet. Not that He's made you completely right practically. Not that you are completely beautiful in your behavior or you're brilliant or you're noble or you're glorious. No, 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 no. But He says, I will see you that way. When I look at you, I see you as sinless. When I look at you, I see you as right. When I look at you, I see you as noble and brilliant and beautiful and clean. When I look at you, I see my son. I declare you to be righteous. It is a legal term. It is, a, it is as if we're in God's great court of law and He declares you Acquitted. Acquitted acquitted. This is the third big principle. The gospel is not okay, let me sum it up this way. The gospel is not that you develop a righteousness and then you give it to God so that He owes you but that God has developed a righteousness through Jesus and He gives it to you so that you owe Him. Pray with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.